1: Welcome to Bad Money. Welcome to Kramer. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at one 800 743 cbc or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Don't look a gift horse in the math. Sometimes things really are as good as they seem. That's exactly how I felt about the Labor Department's non-farm payroll report this morning, which showed much better job growth and low inflation, hence why the Dow gained 118 points, S&P advanced 0.55%, and then Nasdaq climbed 0.40%. The jobs report, frankly, had something for everyone. Good manufacturing growth, I was thrilled to see that. Tame wage growth. I know that's not great for the vast majority of people who work for a living, of course, but it is terrific if you're a business that wants interest rates to stay relatively low, and those businesses tend to have stocks attached to them. At the same time, there was enough ammo for the Fed to tighten, when it meets next week, and the federal funds rate is so low that we can handle some rate hikes before it really starts hurting this smoking hot economy, and rate hikes translate into booming earnings for the banks, one of the biggest groups in the whole S&P. But let's not get ahead of ourselves with next week's game plan because there's a lot going on before we get to a Wednesday where I'll talk about the swan song. Not the black swan, the swan song. First of all, when we come in on Monday, look out you'll be able to trade Bitcoin futures. That's right. The CBOE will seek to create a two-way market in the so-called cryptocurrency. And I bet they start to tame the Bitcoin phenomenon. When I say tame, by the way, please, I don't necessarily mean it'll go down. Although I have my suspicions that short sellers will use the futures to blast Bitcoin lower. What I mean is that so far as at least Bitcoin is the least transparent financial bubble I've ever seen. I like a little transparency with my bubbles. That ends Sunday, when the futures start trading on the SIBO, and we'll see whether this captivating run can survive the scrutiny that comes with being listed on a prominent exchange. At the very least, I bet Bitcoin holders might want to hedge their positions, and the futures will let them. Plus, some holders have to be frightened that the most recent rally was what we call a walk-up in the business, meaning that some hedge funds walked up the price of Bitcoin, won very little volume, so they could get short at high levels and blast the darn thing to kingdom come. On Monday, we find out what happens when there's a real market in this thing. It's going to be revelatory. Now, this morning, one of my favorite analysts, J.P. Morgan Stephen Tusa, put out a devastating piece about how 3M should be sold because its big tailwinds are turning into headwinds. Tusa, who actually had a sell on the stock going into today, rehashed some arguments about how things simply can't continue to be this good for the Minnesota giant. I thought he was dead wrong, because he assumes that 3M is a static company that won't be able to adjust to the changes that are coming. Time and time again, under CEO Ingetuline, 3M has innovated itself out of difficult situations. But do not take it from me, see, because on Tuesday... 3M holds an analyst meeting, and I think they'll tell a very compelling story that justifies the stock's 33% gain for the year. I see today's weakness as a buying opportunity. Look, Tusit does incredibly high-quality work. He got you out of GE. He told you exactly how bad things were at the troubled industrial when others, including top-level executives, were in complete denial. But nobody's right all the time, and I think the underperform rating that he has on 3M, it's ill-advised. How about Janet Yellen, last Fed Chair press conference? Oh, boy. Uh, I'll miss her. All I can say is we're all going to miss her when she's gone. I believe Yellen will tell a story about why it makes sense to raise the federal funds rate by a quarter of a percent without hurting the economy. You know, she's been an exceptional Fed chief, gets very little credit for it, I think. Just one of those people who served the country incredibly well. She managed the Federal Reserve terrifically. Uh, her, she, by the way, she always took her own counsel. Uh, which is really important. The myriad commentators who wanted her to jack up rates quickly for fear of phantom inflation, she didn't listen to them. I bet we'll look back and marvel at how she helped engineer the strong economy, uh, one that has very little inflation. And I think the people who don't give her the credit she deserves, I think you should be ashamed of yourselves. Yes, she's that good. I wish Ellen the best of luck when she leaves the Fed, and we are most fortunate for her service. I expect no surprises on Wednesday, but I am now convinced that if she doesn't raise rates, we are actually going to get a very big bank sell-off. Thursday's a huge earnings day. Uh, We're going to hear from Oracle from Costco, Adobe. Now, these are all incredibly important stocks that are going to impact the entire market. The first, Costco, has generated some fabulous monthly numbers. The stock's had a big run. And I think it's going to give you an excellent report. Like Home Depot, what a great analyst meeting the other day. Costco's been able to triumph over Death Star Amazon by offering low prices in a treasure on atmosphere and a club basis. Last quarter, they beat themselves up about their online offerings. They're merciless toward themselves. I kind of like that. Let's see if they're feeling more satisfied now. They're actually really never satisfied. Maybe that's why Costco is so good. They are never satisfied. Oracle, ooh, what a tough one. Now, lately, we've been getting some number cuts by research firms, but they're doing it on surveys of the software giant's business. It's all centered on how it's not able to compete with the likes of Alphabet Amazon, or Microsoft, which is Azure when it comes to the cloud. Now, last time, Oracle stock popped when it reported, but then it gave up the whole game. Maybe it pops again, but the trajectory from after that last quarter, it makes me wary. Last month, we spent some time with Adobe CEO Shantanu Narayan. We went to his San Francisco office, not the headquarters, but a beautiful office in San Francisco. Boy, did I like what I saw. He is harnessing artificial intelligence to make better presentations and applications. Adobe's become the premier marketer of the web with some truly breathtaking tools. But, you know, we're in a strange environment right now. Tech goes in and out of favor, even in a single session like today. Did you see that? Where the internet things, semis, and cell phone stocks all started incredibly strong on an up day. And then they gave up the ghost and they finished down. My take is that trading Adobe may be a bad call because it's too hard. That said, I like it as an investment. If you're willing to buy the stock and hold it, given the company's dominance in online marketing, can I just say it is a very hard sto- stock to hold on to. But you've got to believe because the company's built a fabulous business. We also get a clinic in Life Sciences and Environmental Services, among a plethora of other businesses, when Danaher, long a favorite of mine, holds its analyst meeting. The stock of this fast-growing amalgam of healthcare instruments has been on a tear. I told members of the ActionAlertsPlus.com club on our monthly conference call this week that Danner has long been one of the best-run American companies. And it's put together an amazing mosaic of healthcare-related divisions that really hums. And by the way, they offloaded their more cyclical businesses, so this is a pure play. Even when one business lags that they have, like its dental division a couple of quarters ago, it adjusts and does the right thing. So I'm going to be following this meeting closely, and I'll pass on whatever happens. It's probably going to be... Uh, Uh, I think a pretty rah rah session. Finally, finally on Friday, we have an analyst meeting with Centene. I don't know if you remember them, we've had them on a couple times. CEO Michael Nydorf has been able to offer healthcare at reasonable prices all across the country, and this company has profited mightily from Obamacare. But wait a second. I think it will profit in any environment because they've got a lot of exposure to Medicaid, and they do well. So you always need to keep your eye on Washington with this one, just in case Paul Ryan ever musters up enough support to take an axe to healthcare spending. Once again, Centene would be the buy, let it come down, and then buy it. That's been the right strategy now for four years. Of course, all week we'll be hearing about the conference committee on the tax bill and we'll follow every turn about corporate rates and pass-throughs and how it's all going to be paid for. We're also going to hear chatter, I understand, that the president's going to plow ahead with a gigantic infrastructure bill, but I can't imagine that going anywhere in this Congress. Either way, the bottom line is simple. We're in a market that turns on a dime. And until we have more stability— You need to be ready to buy your favorites on market induced weakness as nearly every stock seems susceptible to fickle intraday agony and ecstasy that you can profit from. If you can handle the emotional thicket, because the direction of the market and all the records are up. Jack in Connecticut, Jack. Hey, Jim, Booyah from Fairfield County, Connecticut. Oh, fantastic. What what can can I help you with? Well, look, I'm looking at biotech to rebound and have a, an interest in your thoughts on my three favorites. You know, first, he- heading, are they all heading straight up? And secondly, how do you prioritize in this type of environment with biotech? So the first is Alexion, which is up about 7% today. Right. And it's, uh, it's got a 52-week spread of 96 to 150, and they're sitting at about 114. Okay. is up today at 3%. Right. And Bluebird Bio is the third All one. All right, so let's what take you- them. Let's take them. Bluebird Bio, most speculative, but I really like their science. cellgene has been upgraded a couple times in the last two weeks. Tells me that maybe it's finally bottomed for the hideous decline from 140. And you know what? This Alexion, I've got to tell you, Elliot's in there, Elliot Partners, and I really like that they do really high-quality work. You're not going to go wrong with that. But let's say cellgene is the one that's most, let's say, plain vanilla. And then we're going to go to Lexion, bid up today. I don't care for that. Bluebird is total spec, good spec, but total spec. Nate in Washington, Nate. Hi, Jim. Uh, love the show. Love your books. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I, uh, my stock is Etsy. Uh, a few months ago, I bought in at
0: around 14 bucks a share. And, uh, last, and the stock gradually went up. But then last month, they reported a $0.15 cent earnings beat. And the stock's virtually flatlined until
1: recently, and it's been on a tear, despite Amazon's homemade platform. Now, is this uptick um, from – can it be attributed to the holidays? And if so, should I, should I ring the register or should I hold no, on? No, I don't for, want uh, you – now, maybe this is Brooklyn own. This is Brooklyn Zone. I went by their headquarters just the other day. I have to tell you. This company is now run by professionals. It is doing a remarkable job. I have always liked it. My daughter sold stuff on it. It's a crafts. Remember, we're a crafts country. And where do you buy crafts? Amazon can't shoot them down. You go to Etsy. Hold on to it. And the site's a lot better. It's not as clumsy as it used to be. I think you got a winner. All right, this market's got a fickle mind of its own. That's why you need to be ready to buy your favorites for when the market turns on them because the overall direction, as we know from all the new highs that we got, is up. Now, let uh, me have money tonight. Millennials are bulking up on, guess what, besides Instagram, protein. So is it time to look for winners in this space? gonna give you my take. Then what does the tax bill mean for the home builders? Shouldn't they be going down? I'm gonna be sitting down with one of the CEOs navigating the changes, got a lot of land in California. But first, there's a revolution going on in your home. And one company is taking share of a new market. You may not see it. So tonight I'm shedding some light on a stock that could be ready to shine. The opera's turn there is light. Stick around for an enlightening idea and stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag mad tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. When a stock that was written off and left for dead makes a miraculous comeback. You better believe I take notice. Consider the case of Cree. That's a leading player in the LED lighting business. They make both LED chips and actual bulbs with a stock that's gone from dog to market darling. House of pleasure. In just a matter of months. And I got to tell you, I thought the move has been very surprising. So I decided we had to drill down, and figure out what's going on. Now, years ago, when the Obama administration started phasing out the old school incandescent bulbs for being huge energy wasters that they are, Cree became red hot and the stock launched into the stratosphere, climbing from the teens to the 70s, almost Bitcoin-like, and then pulled back, uh, then roaring back to 70 before it finally gave up the ghost in 2013. What went wrong? At the end of the day, these LED chips, they're really a commodity product. That's all they are, which means it's easy for competitors to come in and flood the market with supply, and that's exactly what happened. After a multi-year sell-off, many years, the stock ended up in the low 20s, and that's where it stayed. That is, until a few months ago. Starting in August, this thing began to take off again, and Kree's now made a remarkable move. It's up from 22 to 34, more than 50% in a little more than three months' time, which begs the question, what the heck is going on here? Okay, let's start by looking at what Cree's done since its big breakdown four years ago. First, you need to know that the company has three divisions. This is really important, guys. Lighting products that we all know, that meaning the lighting systems you can buy. They sell a ton of them at Home Depot. LED products, meaning LED chips and components that are used to make all sorts of displays for everything from computers to smartphones to television sets to other companies' lighting systems. And then a third division that I never even thought about. And that division's called Wolf Speed. One word, Wolf Speed. It's kind of a catch-all for their power radio frequency chips. Now, starting in 2015, Cree began a major restructuring in its LED business, reducing excess capacity, cutting costs to better handle this incredible LED glut. Cree did manage to stabilize its LED segment. But then its lighting and semiconductor divisions both turned negative. These guys just couldn't catch a break anywhere. So in the summer of last year, the company announced another dramatic move. They planned to sell this Wolfspeed division, that's that catch-all power and radio frequency semiconductor business, to a German chipmaker, Infineon, for $850 million in cash. Now, Wall Street initially cheered the move. Cree stock vaulted 20% on the news. Analysts jumping all over themselves to raise the price target, but the strength was short-lived. Cree reported a couple of inline quarters with weak guidance, although by this January, the company actually delivered a huge top and bottom line beat. But then management gave guidance for the next quarter that was kind of wishy washy, so it put a damper on the comeback. Just when it seemed, though, that Cream might be getting its act together, the Wolf Speed sale fell apart. The reason? It ended up being blocked by a thing called the Committee on Foreign Investments in the U.S. We call it CFIUS to confuse you. Normally, you only hear about these guys when a U.S. company is being bought by a firm based in China, Ukraine, Middle East. But the one exception to that is technology. Still, they rarely block a deal with a close ally like Germany, right? That's exactly what happened back in February. The Committee on Foreign Investments determined that this Wolfspeed deal posed a national security risk to the United States, so they flat-out blocked it. Suddenly, the deal was off, and it seemed like you were left with that same old Cree again, stock that had been stuck in the 20s for ages. And sure enough, when the company reported in April, posted a substantial miss. Stock instantly lost 11% of its value. Ouch, this thing has been such a bear. But then in May, Cree realized they needed to change. Chuck Swoboda, the chairman and CEO, he had been there forever, announced that he was retiring as soon as the board found a replacement. Stock roared on that news, rallying 13%, kind of a classic case of addition by subtraction, if you ask me. But the real turn here started in late September when Cree named his successor, a guy by the name of Greg Lowe. Now, he was the former CEO of Freescale Semi, did a great job there. That was a quality chipmaker, a lot of debt on the balance sheet, that sold itself to NXP Semi, which you know we like, a couple of years ago. Low is the real deal. Then, when the company reported mid October, they finally got it right. At first glance, this was the same old, same old. Inline results, disappointing guidance. Initially, the stock sold off a bit. And then, after the market opened, it turned around and it ended up folding up 16% to 34 its highest level in two years. Why? Get this everybody suddenly got real excited about WolfSpeed, the power and RF semiconductor division that the company had tried to dump the year before. Even though Wolfspeed is the smallest division, CFO Michael McDivitt indicated that it's on fire. Revenue up 9% versus the previous quarter. Huge sequential increase. You usually don't see it that big. Wolfspeed's Sp- Sp- biggest problem, what's keeping it back? Lack of production capacity to meet the demand. McDivitt went on to explain that Cree would be investing a lot more in the business going forward with the goal of doubling capacity by the end of next year. When new CEO Greg Lowe began speaking, he talked about, I'm going to quote, evaluating and focusing the strategy and the direction of the company, end quote, and referenced that he'd done something similar at Freescale. Remember, that ended with him selling the company to NXP Semi, which Qualcomm is trying to acquire right now. Lowe's a semiconductor guy, so the presumption is he's going to focus on the chip business. Why is this Wolfspeed division so hot? Well, it, it is the smallest part of the company, 15% of Cree's sales last fiscal year, and they tried to sell the darn thing under the previous leadership. The fact is that Wolfspeed nearly doubled its sales in the 2017 fiscal year, and it would have done even better if it hadn't been so neglected by Swoboda and the old regime. So Wolfspeed's chips have many applications, including silicon carbide power modules, electric vehicles. Yeah. They've also got exposure to the rollout of 5G wireless networks. On the radio frequency side, they make amplifiers that are used in aerospace. Let's see electric cars. 5G airplanes? I mean, can you believe the dopes who used to run Cree wanted to sell this? They should have been trying to sell everything else but Speed. And Cree's Wolfspeed division is actually a major player in the niche markets where it competes. No wonder they brought in a semi guy like Greg to run the company. It's been sitting on a hidden gem all along. Now you've got analysts at firms like Deutsche Bank upgrading the stock to buy us a stealth play on I know what you love, electric vehicle. Put it all together, and I think the re-rating, that's the term, technical Wall Street term, of Cree as an actual semiconductor company has only just begun. Here's the bottom line. It's better to be lucky lucky than good people. And Cree was very lucky when the regulators blocked them from selling their best business to the Germans. With the company's non-LED semiconductor biz catching fire and a smart new CEO running things, I think you should buy Cree. I know it's gone up a lot, but ideally maybe get a bit of a pullback because this Cree, well, this Cree is a heck of a lot better than the old one. Much more mad money ahead, including my take on the power of protein in this market. Is it time to start looking for a play in this space or could you be counting your chickens before they hatch? Then how can tax reform impact the housing market? I'm gonna sit down with one of the best housing company CEOs there is, TriPoint. And the labor department released its official unemployment figures for November this morning. Are they worth celebrating? I'll give you my tip. Stick with Kramer. We, in Kramer, are always on the lookout for powerful secular growth themes and trends that can drive monster not one year, not two year, but multi-year gains. And tonight we've got a big one that I need to elaborate on. I'm talking about protein. Specifically, how millennials seem to love protein. And like it or not, the millennials are the future. And there's like millions of them. Now, I I know this sounds silly. They made fun of me on Squawk on the Street when I said it. They like protein. Uh, I know it's been kind of a staple for millions of years. More important, aren't millennials supposed to be going vegan or vegetarian at alarming rates? As it turns out, the younger generation does love protein. And the one they really love is chicken. I think millennials are so image conscious, well, of course, they're Instagramming each other, that they'll do anything to avoid eating carbs, including going full carnivore. But I know they love chicken so much that Rourke Capital is taking Buffalo Wild Wings private. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. Before Buffalo Wild Wings, there was Popeyes. Remember them? In February, Restaurant Brands, the parent company of Burger King, announced it would be acquiring Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen, another chicken chain for $1.8 billion. We were behind that thing from day one. The company now has had two full quarters under its belt with Popeye's as a subsidiary, and so far the results are looking pretty good, hence why the stock is up 27% for the year, even as it's sold off pretty hard over the past couple of weeks, because they're based in Canada, and thus they don't see the same benefit from reform as an American-based chain would in its taxes. Then just last week, we got confirmation that Arby's, which belongs to Aurora Capital, would be snapping up Buffalo Wild Wings for 42 percent premium versus where the stock was trading right before the takeover rumors began circulating. Now, those rumors were pretty shocking as Buffalo Wild Wings is performing pretty poorly for quite some time. One chicken chain getting acquired. okay, isolated incident, right? But two? I think two is the beginning of a pattern, and there might be more deals in the works. On Monday, a must-follow Dan Primack of Axios reported that Arby's has much greater ambitions and is amassing a major war chest to fund future deals. More important, the poultry bull market goes well beyond the restaurant space. It's really a two-pronged story. And the second prong is Kramer-fave Tyson Foods, which I like to think of as a kind of a gigantic butcher shop. Tyson has a lot of exposure to beef and pork and even prepared foods. But lately, the stock's been running in large part because of the strength in the company's poultry business. And make no mistake, Tyson's on fire here. It's vaulted from the mid-50s in May up to 83. That's an enormous move for a large-cap food company, particularly when the food group's been doing so badly. Now, some of that is because management's made a series of strategic changes designed to improve the business, while also, yes, pandering to millennials. For example, uh, Tyson's embraced sustainability. They're selling antibiotic-free poultry. Two things, the environmentally conscious, natural and organic-loving younger generation can't get enough of. They really hate antibiotics. Remember we had Tyson on? I don't like them either, but I'm saying they look at the labels and stuff. Plus, they made a smart acquisition earlier this year, picking up this thing called Advanced Pierre. It's a packaged food company with a big sandwich business, something I was very bullish on because Tyson's last acquisition, Hillshire Farms, back in 2015, has worked out so well. But as CEO Tom Hayes has told us, a lot of the strength here, once again, comes down to this. Sure enough, the stock's giving you a terrific 17% gain since the last time I recommended it just two months ago. Even better, Tyson reported a very strong quarter in mid-November with management reiterating their very bullish guidance for all of 2018. Best of all was the commentary on the conference call, which sounded almost giddy, frankly. As Dennis Leatherby, the chief financial officer, put it, we have a tremendous amount of momentum going into fiscal 18 as we come off a year of 21 percent earnings per share growth, end quote. Then he added, quote, our first quarter in fiscal 18 is off to a great start. In terms of, chicken bull mar- of the chicken bull market specifically, CEO Tom Hayes explained that the company's adding chicken capacity because the demand has been, quote, outstanding and outpacing, end quote. Hayes wants to keep supply short of demand. That's how you get higher prices. But so many people want so much chicken that they've needed to increase their supply anyway. In short, Tyson sees strength in all of its protein categories, beef, pork, and chicken, as we head into 2018. And there's no sign of demand for meat abating. So how do you play the protein bull market? For starters, let's not overthink this. I mean, I still like Tyson, up even up here. And while the stock is run, the fundamentals have also continued to improve. Frankly, I think the stock is still cheaper. It's at 14.4 times uh, next year's earnings estimates. That, that, that's too low. So on a price-to-earnings basis, Tyson's only a tiny bit more expensive than when I recommended it in October. Back then, it was trading at 13.6 times next year's numbers. A lot of room to run. What about the restaurant side of things? Okay, with Popeyes, I used to pronounce it as Popeyes. Because I'm from Philadelphia, but my kids always made fun of me, so I think I know it's called Popeyes, right? And Buffalo Wild Wings getting acquired. Have you thought about Wingstop? Well, Wingstop could be next. Now, I don't know about a takeover bit, but it turns out both the company and the stock are doing quite well. Heck, Wingstop's given you a fabulous 43% gain since we spoke to CEO Charlie Morrison on February 2nd, right before the Super Bowl. Make a note that we have to have him on. Oh, no, I'll be in Minneapolis. All right. What makes it so strong? Thanks in part to the protein bull market, in particular, our insatiable demand for chicken. You know, this is one prop that I keep picking. Up. It is like ridiculous, right? One prop. Where's all the other protein? Anyway, Wingstop's one of the few restaurant chains out there that's still putting up lots of new stores. Some of that's because they're pretty small. But the fact remains, this is a rare growth restaurant stock, and the numbers have been darn good. In its latest quarter, Wingstop's store count increased by 14.6% year-over-year. They now have 1,088 locations. More importantly, same-store sales up 4.1%. Protein bull market. That said, Wingstop's stock is expensive. Trades it roughly 50 times next year's earnings estimates, 43 times the 2019 estimates. I don't like that. That's pricey even for a company with a 17% long-term growth rate. And I don't expect to be taken private. After all, Wingstop used to, be born, used to be private. Guess who owned it? Roark Capital. The same guys who just bought Buffalo Wild Wings until the IPO in 2015. Those guys still own 20% of it, so it's not going to get a takeover bid. But, wow, good numbers. So I'm not going to recommend buy more at this level, but I think the stock can go higher into the end of the year. In part because Wingstop's mostly domestic and pays a 36% effective tax rate, so they're going to be a big winner from tax reform. Oh, here's another one because just reported that I really that I you know I like, but I, it's moved. Yum Brands. Now they're the parent company of Pizza Hut. Uh, they're going to start delivering beer. Did you see that? Uh, Taco Bell and the chain I'm really interested in here, KFC, which I love. It's a treat. This stock is up more than 30% for the year, with Taco Bell and KFC being the main drivers. What can I say? People can't get enough protein. But Yum trades now at 26 times the next year's numbers. This used to be very inexpensive stock. Uh, it, 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 it's, it, this one isn't cheap anymore. When you start looking at the out years, though, you can get a 22.5 times number for 2019. While it's not my favorite, you certainly have my blessing to buy this one. Particularly on a pullback, why? It is a really well-run company. I just don't like paying that high multiple. So here's my bottom line: It may sound like a silly thesis, and people laughed initially, but protein is red hot. I think because image-conscious millennials are desperate to avoid eating carbohydrates. The best way to play it, stick with Tyson Foods. Yum's worth holding. Wingstop could be attractive in the weakness. Tyson is a bye-bye-bye. And, you know, we just changed our menu at Bar San Miguel. We added a whole bunch of chicken dishes. Literally because of the, po- the poultry bull market. I need to go to Donna in North Carolina, please. Donna. Hi, Jam. Yeah, Donna. What's up? Love your show. Thank you. Jim, yeah, my question yeah i have twin sons that are millennials and i wish to get them interested in investing okay because one day they may inherit stocks from me what advice would you give me and other parents that would spur those millennials interest and mainly patience for long-term investing Getting them to be savvy investors okay. so that they will understand what they will be doing. All right, this is a great, great question, Don. I've addressed it a couple times. Let me be really, really succinct. What do they like? That's what you have to start with. What do they like? If they like to go to McDonald's, we have a possibility. They like to go to Wendy's, okay? If they like to shop, if they go to Amazon, if they're on Facebook, we need it to be that there are things that they like so they'll stay interested. And they'll buy more if it goes down because they like them. So that's the way to go. Phil in South Dakota. Phil. Hi, Jim. How are you doing today? I'm good. How about yeah. you, Phil? My question is about Domino's Pizza. Hey, it was up nicely today. You uh- see that? Well, okay, let's talk about Dominos, okay. this company's been uh, this stock has been under pressure for a long time. People keep thinking that the last quarter wasn't that great and the international's not growing that well. Can we just give? Can we just give Patty Doyle a little slack here? He has built a great multi year situation. And you know what? It's not a a what have you done for me lately situation with Domino's. I think you sock it away. Why? Because they are a technology company that delivers pizza on time. And yes, I like the banana peppers and no cheese. Press that no cheese option. It's a tomato pie. It's delicious. All right, millennials are muscling in on protein. There's power in these stocks. I say bulk up with some Tyson Foods. Okay, much more may money at including my exclusive with a leading California home builder. How are the wildfires ravaging the region impacting its business? Don't miss my sit down with TriPoint, one of our favorites. Then, uh, what's today's unemployment number mean for your portfolio going forward? And all your calls, rapid fire, tonight's edition of The Lightning Round, And of course, a look back at the week that was. Stay with Raymond. How long can the home builders keep flying high here? This group has been red hot. But things are, well, there's a couple things in the way that could hurt them. Next week, the Federal Reserve is almost certainly going to raise interest rates. And as they tighten, getting a mortgage tends to become a little more expensive. Same time, this tax bill, it's going to conference between the Senate and the House. And we really do not know how the end product will affect the industry. Will the mortgage interest deduction be reduced? Will homeowners still be able to deduct their their property taxes? These things matter huge if you're buying a house. So let's check in with TriPoint Group, TPH, the home builder with huge exposure California, the state of Washington, not to mention Nevada, Arizona, Virginia, some Texas. TriPoint's been rallying like crazy. It's up 53% for the year, but recently it's pulled back about 5% from its November highs. Could this be a buying opportunity, or do we need to get a little more cautious, given the picture I just outlined? Let's take a closer look with Doug Bauer. He's the CEO of TriPoint Group. Get a better sense of how this company's doing and where it's headed. Mr. Bauer, welcome back to Mad Money.
0: Thanks, Jim. Good, to, good to have uh, be on board again.
1: All right, Doug. Your stock has been on fire. A lot of people tell me, "Well, wait a second, California—the property taxes are high, in the state and local—you got to be able to deduct, or they won't buy homes." It's the opposite. It's been fabulous in California, hasn't it?
0: It really has. Uh, you know, our, our third quarter uh, performance orders were up 36 percent. Backlog was up 32 percent. Our EPS was up over 100 percent. Um, and our deliveries are up nine percent. So overall, you know, when you look at the housing market right now, it's very good. Demand is very good. It's it's really broad based too. It's it's not only entry level, but move up in luxury. Uh, while we you know continue to fight some of the constraints that are that are going on in the industry, uh, most notably uh, land, labor, and regulations, as I always talk about. Now
1: uh, there'll be people who watch from the east and will say. How is this possible? We, we see these terrible wildfires in California. We know it's expensive. as all get out in California. What is it that makes it so people do not seem to care they want to live there?
0: Well, Jim, when you look at California in, in particular, we build in eight states, as, as you mentioned earlier. And California, though, is one of our biggest markets. You know, the state of California is, is really in a housing crisis as far as mm-hmm. supply so, you know, the biggest impediment here in California is, is land entitlements and having the land available to build on. And as we've talked before, uh, one of the, the great investment benefits that TriPoint has is we own and control over 17,000 lots in California. And from that reverse merger that we had with uh, Warehouser several years ago, all that land came over at their basis. So we have a distinct advantage from San Diego up to L.A., Uh, producing a lot of product that is uh, in high demand right now.
1: Now, one thing that I saw in your most recent conference call, we're talking about what's going to happen to state and local taxes, but we also know that tax rates are coming down. I was shocked. You are 37%. You're the highest company I've talked to. So you stand, you're 37% taxpayer. This could be a windfall for TriPoint shareholders.
0: You know, the, the, you know, we're a big believer in, in tax reform, especially, on you know, not only for the corporate side of it, uh, but you, uh, you were talking a little bit earlier about uh, the overall, uh, you know, when you look at the, the overall tax reform package, both from the House and Senate, and, you know, we really view it as, a, as it needs to be a balanced approach. Um, you know, the, the American home and buying American home has been part of our culture. It's been part of the dream. Mm-hmm. Frankly, the American home is is where people save money and also consume. So, you know, as the Senate and House get through conference, you know, we hope they take a more balanced approach to uh, all aspects of of the of the bills, uh, whether it's interest deductions, uh, the salt and and property uh, property tax deductions. It needs to be a, a more balanced approach because, I mean, frankly. I don't really agree that the doctors and lawyers in California, New Jersey, New York should be paying for a corporate tax break for Apple. I mean, that's just I think there needs to be a more balanced approach.
1: I want this question because you're not in the area where I'm from, but I, I need to get a sense. I have a house in Jersey everybody around me says your property has lost 10 to 15 percent just on this tax bill alone if it goes through. You're not in Jersey. Does that you're not in New York? Do you think that that is actually a calculus if they keep this the way we're hearing on salt? Is that an actual possibility?
0: No, I don't, because I think when you look again at the fundamentals of housing in California, and I, we're not in Jersey, as you said, but but there's such a shortage of supply in, in especially California, right. and there's such a strong demand that, uh, you know, I, I don't think these tax reform uh, packages are, are meaningful enough to, to affect pricing that way. Um, but I still just fundamentally believe in a more balanced approach that the House and Senate should take.
1: Boy, I sure hope they do that. You're absolutely right. Well, you're in the right states, no doubt about it. You've got the right communities and doing fabulously well. That's Doug Bauer, TriPoint Group CEO. We like this housing situation very much because of the shortage that's going on. And they've got the best land. have money's back in. It is time. It's time for the light round, And the over. Are you ready, Skeet? Daddy. It's time the lighting round, Crazy I'm going to start with Alan in Ohio. Alan. I'm uh, Hey Jim, thanks for taking my call. United of States Steel. The symbol is X. I was Why would you want to do that when we have Nucor finally breaking out on, on what I regard as an infrastructure play? How about we go to John in Virginia? John. Jim, a big booyah from the snowy Old Dominion, uh, gotcha. AAXN, Axon, been in it since about 2002. Been you know, I got yes, yeah, this is the security, remember this is the old uh, Taser, and we like it, we think it's doing well. Let's go to Sam in Pennsylvania, Sam. Hey, what's going on, Jim? <laughs> what's going? Hey. Hey. ALKS. Al- I'm partial to Alchemies. I think that Richard Pops has done a good job. There's periodically some like negative press on what they, on their drug on uh, 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 Vivitrol. I think that's his think It's really good. Let's go to Jose in Florida. Jose.
0: Hey, what's going on, Jim? Not much. You tell me. First time investment here. Okay. Uh, just wanted to get an an op- I guess like an opinion from you. Um, just wanted to see if uh, you can help me out. I had uh, invested a little bit under a thousand, or just over a thousand when uh, Sprint was at 6, uh, just under 6.
1: Okay, Sprint's uh, with- a real long-term situation, Jose. If you want shorter term, it's T-Mobile. If and if you want income, it's going to be Verizon. Uh, time for one more. We're going to go to John in Alabama. John. Hi, Jim. A big Booyah and Roll Tide to you from Lower Alabama. Roll Tide. What's up? Roll Tide. Roll Tide. Want to know about my stock, IPG Photonics? IPG- it's a little two. too hot for me, fiber lasers up 100%. That may be not my style. I'd like you to take some off the table. Let's go to Brian in Florida. Brian. Jimbo, my friend, how are you? I'm doing good. How about you, Brian? Great. The market's soaring and soaring. GM is going down. Could you use my feet? Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not going to. I don't like the auto stocks. It just it's not been one my cup of tea. And that, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Lightning
0: Round!
1: The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Go, from Philly, PA, the you- home of this year's future Super Bowl champion, the Philadelphia Eagles. This guy is guys, the smartest caller we've ever had. How can I help? How about that for pin action? Is this great? Just hitting. That's been the big theme behind so many M&A acquisitions. Let me start again. Kramer! Yo, yo. I've got a mobile internet
0: tsunami playing with the house of money. You only need to get rich once. Booyah too, you, Ski Daddy. Hello, Kramer and... <laughs> from Brooklyn, New York.
1: Booyah, Jim Cramer, my man. You're the man to miss the legend. Thanks a lot for all your great advice, Mr. Cramer. It's the reason why we still play MI Diversified, even though on Twitter people would like me to play MI Bitcoin. You know have to say booyah in Spanish? No, how would you do that? Booyah. Holy cow! And not just that I named Bug Mr. Bitcoin today. Then, that's my dog. Oh, Lordy, if anyone had ever told me that we could get a spectacular non-farm payroll number that showed employment increasing by 228,000 without also causing interest rates to immediately shoot up, I would have said that you were out of your mind. Yet that's exactly what happened today. We had an amazing. Report With new jobs being created at a rapid pace, particularly in the manufacturing side, there's something new, added 31,000 jobs. The manufacturing jobs are in diverse industries like fabricating metal products, plastic and rubber, electronic products, just the kind of higher skilled blue-collar jobs we want to see. Normally, though, this kind of number would be accompanied by inflation, and inflation sends interest rates soaring. Not this time, though, because while there's a lot of hiring, there's not much wage growth. That's what scares the bond market. Average hourly pay inched up just $0.05 to $26.55. And over the year, by the way, wages increased by only $0.64. That's that's only a 2.5% annual wage increase. It shows you exactly why we can have fabulous hiring without soaring interest rates. We literally have not just growth, but growth without any real inflation. And guys, that's the holy grail of economics. I can't stress enough how rare this is. Growth without inflation is one of those things that's supposedly possible in theory, but you almost never see it in real life, at least not in a fully industrialized country like the United States. And believe me, it's not something they teach you about in Econ 101, or even when I was being trained at Goldman Sachs. Even now, years after working at Goldman or my old hedge fund, I'm still conditioned to look at bonds at 830 right after the number reported. A minute after the job's come out, you got to look at it. A number like this would normally cause bonds to sink. We might have even gotten an on-the-spot prime rate increase from some major banks. I'm not kidding. Instead, we got no reaction at all. I Look at the bonds. I thought the machine was broken. How is this possible? The growth is easy to explain. The economy was already in pretty good shape before the election last year. Since then, it's only gotten better and better. I think deregulation, according to what I asked uh, Gary Cohen about this this morning, the president's advisory said that deregulation has given business a remarkable level of confidence. And the same goes for the tax cut. Some of it is probably a rebound for the two terrible hurricanes. Whatever, it's working. But how do we find ourselves in this remarkable situation where there's no real inflation? I think some of it has to do with technology, keeping a lid on wages, because as workers become too expensive... What do companies do? They automate. I think that much of the manufacturing growth comes from the newly found oil and gas in this country. Do you know that we're pumping it the most we ever have, even though the price has been cut in half? That makes America a cheaper place to produce things like plastics. It also helps boost growth while containing inflation. Plus, there's probably more slack in the labor market than you'd think because so many people left the workforce during the recession. That's why we can have a boom in hiring without much of an increase in wages. Not great if you work for a living. I know that, and I'm not trying to minimize that. I am saying that it is mad money, and this situation is nirvana for stocks. Now, I know this current state of things might not last. Autonomous driving could lead to a major decrease in employment. Same goes for point-of-sale automation and retail. Both are on the way. There are countless other inventions that could limit wage growth. At least for the moment, though, this is indeed a fabulous economy. And it buttresses the notion that the stock markets run isn't all that crazy. Remember, normal times, strength sowed the seeds of its own destruction by leading to inflation and then multiple Fed rate hikes just, just growing up like weeds. But at least for the moment, that's not the case. My take? Enjoy it. Moments like this one don't come around very often. Stick with me. Okay, everybody, this market has got a weird sense of the jitters. What opened up the highest finished down the lowest, and what opened down the lowest finished the highest. What do you do in these situations? How about looking for the companies that you really like and picking your spot and your price, and when it hits it, you buy. That's what kind of market is. It's a price-sensitive market. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise i would find it just for you right here on Man Money. I'm Jim Craig, I'll see you Monday.